Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Hello, friends. It is so great to be back with you for another episode of Regarding Consciousness, brought to you by om-heals.com. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Mark Lesser. Mark is a speaker, facilitator, workshop leader, and executive coach. He is the author of four books, including The Seven Practices of a Mindful Leader, Lessons from Google and a Zen Monastery Kitchen, and CEO of ZBA Associates, an executive development and leadership consulting company. Lesser helped develop the world-renowned Search Inside Yourself program within Google and was the director of the Tassa Hara Zen Mountain Center, the oldest Zen monastery in the Western world. He currently lives in Marin County, California, and leads the Mill Valley Zen, a weekly meditation group. Mark, it is such a pleasure to have you here with us today. Jennifer, pleasure to meet you. Yes, I love this. We were saying right before we hopped on about how synchronistically, you know, sometimes you meet someone and it feels as though it's not for the first time, even though it might be. And I feel like your work, Mark, whether it's you as an individual or having read a bit of your book, Finding Clarity, I feel like I have this kindred spirit with you. I loved reading about your story, how when you were a young man, you were going through a challenging time. It sounds like your father was in World War II and came back and was going through his own personal struggles, which then spilled over to your the rest of your family, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting in uh, one of the things that I a thing that I enjoy and appreciate in the in the Zen tradition, people are often doing what are called way-seeking mind talks and describing what brought them to to this work, to this practice. And yes, I feel like I've been in in this space, although I'm a strange crossover bird in that I'm in the the mindfulness space, consciousness space, and the business space. That's been where I've chosen to put myself, but I've been doing this work for a long time. So I do feel, and I feel like you you have as well. So I do feel like we are kindred spirits from the same cloth. Yeah. When I read the line in the book about you wanting to better understand the human mind and one another, and here you have your parents who are going through their own struggles and you're going through your own esoteric journey and existentialism, Zen Buddhism. And I love how you tied in hallucinogenics. So we may have to touch on that in a moment because it's pretty fascinating. Though it all leads us to this moment of somewhat self-realization because I think it's it's only from a, an awareness of self that we can begin to use our power of discernment and compassionate accountability, which of course is one of the big topics in the book. So tell us a little bit about your journey. I'd love to give our readers a little bit of our listeners a little context for those who haven't yet read the book about how it was that you evolved from being this young man questioning the world, trusting in a professor who says, hey, try this, to (laughs) now a man who transformed Google with what you did with them. Yeah, I think think of myself as having been quite asleep growing up in a suburban neighborhood in central New Jersey, and then through being introduced, I think, to 
Abraham Maslow and Carl Jung and Alan Watts. And I begin, I wondered, like, why wasn't everyone pursuing this realm of awareness and consciousness? It just seemed so ordinary and also just powerfully important. And I took a one-year leave of absence from Rutgers and came to the West Coast. And and as soon as I walked into the San Francisco Zen Center, I actually had this aha moment that this would be a place worth 10 years of my life. And, and I really had no idea what that would mean, but I was just drawn to the people and the practice, the physicality of sitting meditation and community. And a surprising thing was that I kept being asked to take on different leadership roles within the Zen Center. I had that was not at all how I thought of myself and but it turned out to be really life-changing and especially I, this working in the kitchens and being to farm with horses and then in my 10th year being asked to be director of Tassajara Zen Mountain Center which in a way even it is a retreat center in the winter time but turned into a kind of a conference center and so was a lot like any small business, all the problems and opportunities of people and money. And, and there was just something about the combination of practice, the practice of meditation, the practice of non-duality, and achieving great results by running a business and being a leader was like, wow, this is amazing. And again, why isn't everyone doing this? And I decided to turn my life over to that path and went to business school, started a started and grew a publishing company. And yeah, and as you alluded to, found myself being asked to help develop a mindfulness, emotional intelligence leadership program inside of Google, which became immensely popular. I love that. I think you share somewhere in the book about engineers saying, how much time is the right amount of time to meditate? I, I could ask similar questions. People yeah, no, the, the question is, what is the least amount of time? The least amount of time. <laughs> yes, very engineering. And you're like, it's not that they're lazy. They just want to be sure that they're getting the most bang for their buck. <laughs> yeah. I think in some way it was both. There may have been, there may have been a trying to do the least, but it was, I think, they wanted to know what science had to say. What what does because there's been a lot of then there still is a tremendous amount of research about meditation. And they want the question in a way was what does the research say is the least amount we can meditate and have it impact our lives? And I uh, and there is there is some research, but I came around to saying start with one aware breath, fully aware breath every day and see how that impacts your experience. Yes. As somebody who's been meditating personally for 10 years, it's my consciousness and my state of mind are so much better. My husband, <laughs> it was funny, we were rushing to the airport this morning from London and you have to get the train and go here and go there. And I said, honey, do you mind if we just wait an extra five or 10 minutes just so I can ground and meditate? And he said, absolutely. We are not going anywhere until you've done even just a little mini meditation because it is true. And talk to me from your perspective, from scientifically and what you found in your research with Google and these other incredible organizations you've worked with. Why do we meditate? What does meditation actually do for us? There's super interesting research about how it... So I love that there's the science component, right? And I think the science component helps us understand. For example, we now know 
that about neuroplasticity. Mm. We now, which we didn't know 30 or 40 years ago that the brain changes and that we can change our brains by where we are putting our attention. We've also learned that there is the amygdala is the the alarm system in our brain when it's the fight or flight system. And somehow just knowing that can really help when we are triggered, when we are in that, when we're rushing around or when we're fearful. But I think that meditation is can help with all of those things. But I think there's something about with every breath, letting go of your story of who you think you are, especially your mistaken beliefs, your limiting beliefs about yourself, and not being so caught by what we expect. So it allows us to be even, I think, a tiny improvement in how we deal with uncertainty and how we deal with, uh, in, in, and it also, I think, can shift our relationship with challenges and difficulty that it can help us even try on a, a bring it on attitude as opposed to one of feeling avoidance. We get into a lot, and I, so in some way, one way I, I think of meditation, it's the practice of training ourselves not to avoid anything. It is. Um, it's so funny you say that, Mark, because for me, I noticed part of my meditation practice is an internal check-in too, just to see, you call it inner child, whatever you might want to call it, work. And oftentimes I'll say, sweetheart, how are you feeling? And adult 42-year-old Jen feels fine and normal and cognizant and little internal Jen is sad or angry or frustrated. And we don't realize that so many of us, we think we're interacting with our spouse who might be our age or a different age or our colleague who might be our age or 10 or 20 years older or younger. Yet in reality, Mark, we're dealing with an upset two or five-year-old that nobody has attended to and we're just unconscious to it. And I see this every day in the work world, it's sometimes I'll walk into a meeting and I can almost see people's parents behind each of the person when, they, when they're acting out a sense of <laughs> how they're dealing with their anger, how they're dealing with their frustration, how they're dealing with n- not being recognized, needing more recognition. Yeah, so it is amazing to see th- our humanness. And it's when I think this is partly why I think for, for many years, the intention that people had in the business world was to root out all those emotions. And it's only recently, I think, that there is this greater acceptance and understanding that, no, actually, there is there are many real important positives to our emotional lives in the work world. How else are we going to collaborate and trust each other and work together and how just how important collaboration and trust are? And that means being able to skillfully work with the whatever the limitations and habits and things that we come into the world with. Mm. I remember on another podcast I used to host for many years called Get Yourself the Job, we had this brilliant woman who was the head of marketing globally for a large organization. And I loved when she shared this technique. She said, you know what we do before every meeting, as we all hop into the Zoom meeting, I tell all of our team to put a number from one to five. Five means you got this today. You're epic winning. You're going to nail it. And one being one means don't count on me. And I thought it was so powerful because I know for me personally running my last company, and I've seen it in running other companies I've run, if you're not at your best, 
you need to communicate it. Like I would, I would cancel meetings. If I knew I hadn't had enough sleep, had enough water, we just tend to be more reactive. And yet so many of us just try to power through it, power through that Mm -hmm. meeting we have or power through this where, and it's funny, one of my dear friends, I have an accountability buddy, which we'll talk about in a moment. And one of my dear friends and I check in and for 15 minutes every day, we have a loving, compassionate accountability call. And she realized she double booked herself. And so she's trying to do this one thing that's super important to her business while simultaneously keeping our time. And she realized that Jen, this is out of integrity. And I said, yes, I love you. It is. I said, it's totally, it's okay to say, Hey, can we move this as long as you're not bailing on people unexpectedly and being in communication? I think that we have it as all or nothing. Either I just need to show up for every meeting, regardless of the state I'm in, or nothing at all. But it's really not that. It's this beautiful ebb and flow. And you, you really talk about this in the book about compassionate accountability. I'd love for you to share a little bit about that, Mark. Yeah, I will in a second, but I just want to highlight what you were saying, even about the question, this intention to be our best selves at work or in meetings, just that intention and noticing that. And at the beginning of a workday or at the beginning of a meeting to just to notice that intention and to check in with where we are and whatever we need to do to help bring our best selves to whatever situation we're in. And this is actually a good segue to write this. The book, my book, Finding Clarity is about compassionate accountability. And accountability is in some way, right? It starts with being accountable to ourselves, checking in, as you were saying, with our, how are we doing? Our, what, what do we need to do to be accountable in order to bring our fullest best selves into these relationships and these situations? And then there's being, um, and with compassion, with even with compassion to ourselves when we're struggling. And then there's- Pause you there for a moment. Yeah. I like to put myself in our audience's shoes and I can hear them saying, what does that even mean? You guys are talking about compassionate accountability, but when you're talking about being compassionate to yourself first and foremost, or to someone else, what does that mean to you, Mark? So many of us, uh, we have a, I think we, we've evolved to have this, to scan for threats, right? We've evolved to do whatever we need to do to stay alive. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, we also are scanning internally. There's that we, almost every person I've ever encountered has a pretty well-developed inner judge and inner critic. Mm-hmm. And we have a way, and it's trying to keep us safe, right? Ultimately trying to keep us safe. <laughs> However, this inner judge and inner critic can be downright mean. And we can, people talk to themselves, I find out very regularly, and I do it myself at times. We talk to ourselves in a way our friends would never speak to us or people who care about us would never speak to us, to our, so to ourselves. So it starts with, I think, bringing awareness to that and, and just noticing and being able to name and become familiar with that inner critic. And the antidote is self-compassion. The antidote is to appreciate ourselves, even to love ourselves. When my inner critic shows up, I'm like, oh, there I am doing that thing that I'm often <laughs> teaching other people not to do. That is that is so interesting. Yeah. And I think where it gets really interesting is in relationship, right? So much of our lives, whether it's at home or work, it's all about relationships. And we're always in some way being held and holding others accountable. 
And accountability has a bad rap because usually <laughs> when we, people don't like, we usually think of lack of, or it sounds harsh, right? Account, it's, it sounds cold, accountability, which is why I really like the marriage of accountability and compassion. Mm -hmm. This idea, so to me, accountability is about keeping your word. It's about clarity. It's about it's about no aligning with our expectations with other people. This is where we get into trouble so much in our whether it's in our core relationships or work relationships to really be curious about what is expected. What does success look like in this marriage? What does success look like in this work relationship? And how are we doing? I have a piece in the book called The Four Most Important Words. Which mm -hmm. is, how are we doing? Which, again, I think often, especially if there's any conflict involved, we tend to avoid having that conversation. And then those gaps get wider and wider. And the frustration and anger can build. I sometimes walk into workplaces where it's a little bit like a fish tank where the water's dirty and no one notices. Mm. And that's because people being curious about each other, stop breaking through that, those barriers that come up when we're not checking in with each other. Yeah, I want to tie into that point about avoiding conflict. I think it's so important. And it's funny, I was just on a call, I coach a CEO, and we were talking about onboarding new team members. So in my last life, I built and sold a legal recruiting company. And I cannot tell you how many times, Mark, I would get a call from an upset employer, an upset job seeker, week one. They didn't start me off week one, the employer. Oh, they already have a nasty attitude. And if people don't set up, I tell everybody, I learned this from brilliant man, Dr. Paul White, who I've interviewed several times, appreciation at work. We need to find out how do you want to be appreciated? What sort of communication do you like? Do you like email? Do you like voicemails? There was a client of mine, God bless him. I remember he said, Jen, I don't check my voicemails. If you had ever tried to leave him a voicemail, you'll just never get a response because that's just not how you want to communicate. And yet most of us become embittered, angry, resentful, and never take the time to go through this process of clarification and rather to your point, so many of us stick our head in the sand like an ostrich and just avoid the conflict until we go to the next job where we encounter the same people or situations. Yeah. Yeah. I think boarding is one of those things that everyone says, oh, of course, often it actually takes, it's an ongoing process of, it's not just, oh, the hour or two of onboarding. It's what's the culture here? How do we, what do we think about things? How do we work with conflict? How do we work with what does compassion and accountability look like here? How, how timely do we expect responses from things like emails or voicemails and getting aligned around these core things, as well as the more, I think, the deeper cultural streams about right, things like how we deal with, with power, uh, with trust, with collaboration, what is it? What is it? Do is this? Are these things we value? What do we really value in working together? Mm, I think it's so beautiful, Mark, and I love that we're discussing how accountability. There is a consciousness behind everything, and there is a consciousness we could have around accountability. And I think you put a little graph or something in the book where it's like you could be that harsh, cold accountability that nobody likes, right? That everybody's ah, and you shy away and you hate that person. 
But then when you interweave the compassion with the accountability, that's where this approachableness, this safety, the sense of community and camaraderie comes in. And it is really empowering when you think that the consciousness with which we do anything is what gives the flavor of our lives. Yeah, yeah. Jen, I want to just point out the other part of that graph is cultures that are high in compassion but lack accountability, those don't work either. Yes. It's not just about being loving. Loving is important, but there needs <laughs> but there needs to be alignment. There needs to be clarity about holding ourselves and each other ac- accountable. So it's really that finding that that sweet spot of compassion and accountability. And yes, I think um, I completely agree that holding it all is our consciousness, is our, what lens are we looking through ourselves and the world through? And this is one where I actually talk a fair amount throughout the book about, there is something I think important about what I think of as the living very competently and effectively in in this ordinary world, this everyday world of where money and sovereignty and all those things are important but we also live in the we also live in a sacred world that there's something about recognizing the sacredness and appreciate and to appreciate just being alive just that that and appreciate the other humans that we're working with or living with and that there's something about that actually helps us live more competently i believe in the ordinary world mm. that recognizing there's a yeah recognizing that the world is ordinary and co- the comparative the relative world but there's another uh, we know that there is this other world that we were born into and that we will go to when our lives end so powerful, Mark. You and I could clearly talk for hours, so we'll have to have you on for another time, another show. I would love to have you leave our listeners with maybe a piece of wisdom. Is there any piece of wisdom that maybe something you want to highlight that you already said or something that maybe you didn't get a chance to share, but you feel is a salient point that you would love to leave everyone with? <laughs> I, my first company that I started after I left the Zen Center was a greeting card company, so I'm a bit of a professional quote collector. One of my favorite quotes is a short quote by the farmer writer Wendell Berry, who said, be joyful, though you've considered all the facts. Mm. Be joyful, though you've considered all the facts. And to me, actually, I love that quote because it's a lot, it mirrors compassionate accountability. Accountability is about really staying with the facts, what's true, and driving toward truth with joy but with joy. Even in this kind of crazy mixed up world that we're living in, the facts can be completely depressing and overwhelming at times. And to not be bowled over by them, but to find we owe it to ourselves and our children and our communities to be joyful right in the midst of the facts. Mm, So beautiful. It's my dear friend, KJ, who I was on the call with that we do these daily check-ins and accountability. There was, we commit to each other what we're going to do. We have these three things and we're going to do this every single 24 hours, right? At least every weekday. And as I said, one, she's like, Jen, I get a sense you really aren't committed to one of these and you, you aren't bringing play or fun. And the moment we put that heaviness on our shoulders, the moment we let the joy go out the door, 
then it becomes cumbersome and then we don't want to do it. And the moment you reinsert that joy, you reinsert that play or fun, then yeah. life becomes possible and magical and miraculous. And I think that's what we're all seeking at the soul level, at the consciousness, the global consciousness level is more play and fun and joy in our lives. So Mark, it's such a pleasure to have you here. Where can people pick up the book? Where can people connect with you? What We'll obviously put everything in the show notes, but it's always helpful for those people listening, maybe right now or watching on YouTube. Yeah, the book is, even though the, the pub date for the book is April 11th, it's already available and it can be found anywhere books are sold. And people can find me at marklesser.net, M-A-R-C-L-E-S-E-R.net lots and lots of writing and guided meditations and i love that mark I, I love what you're up to in the world and thank you for the joy the mindfulness and the compassion that you are bringing to everyone through your work through your incredible journey and this beautiful book that you are sharing i encourage every one of us dig inside your soul what joy is being asked to emerge right now and then go and do that. One of my favorite quotes, actually, I'm going to see if I can get this right. I was giving a talk to some scholarship students last week, and I didn't even know I still remember this. We'll see if I can remember it. It was a quote from Howard Thurman, I think, who said, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go and do that. Because mm -hmm. what this world needs is people who have come alive. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us, Mark. Thank you to each Thank of you for tuning in. As always, you can find these episodes before they even come out on iTunes on my YouTube channel at Jennifer K. Hill. So we invite you to subscribe and listen and watch there. Or of course, you can find us on all the podcast channels. And we are so grateful that you joined us here today. And you can always find out more about our sponsors at om-heals.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.